Turn, if you would, tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I failed to do this properly Sunday night like I had intended to, and I apologize for that, but I meant to uh, give a more... uh, I guess appropriate would be the right word. Uh, Thank you for your generosity to me on Sunday and my birthday. Uh, That was very much appreciated, and I want you to know that I appreciate it. Uh, So thank you very much for that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we will get started tonight. Father, it is good to be in your house this evening. Lord, we're thankful, as it's already been said, for the music that we've enjoyed this evening, the message that uh, we've received from the songs. It is a glorious truth to consider. Uh, the fact that we are saved and we will live one day eternally with you. God, I pray that you'd be with this message tonight, that you'd use it to speak to our hearts. God, that we would uh, tuck this one away and that we would use it uh, whenever the the need would arise. God, if somebody uh, tonight would need this message, I pray that you'd help us to apply it to our lives. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. For several weeks, you know that we were in the first uh, four chapters of the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, and in these chapters, these opening uh, remarks, we know that Paul has dealt extensively with the division that was present in the church. We know that the division was uh, centered on or focused on the different spiritual leaders that the people had their loyalties Uh, divided amongst, and we know that Paul has addressed that again extensively, trying to get them to understand that uh, they don't need to be focused on that, they don't need to be quarreling and fighting over such things. But then last week we came to chapter 5, and we know that whenever we came to chapter 5, the subject matter changed drastically, and the Apostle Paul began writing about a man in the church who was guilty of extreme immorality, immorality that Paul said would not even be named among the Gentiles. And he said the thing of it was is that it was commonly reported amongst the church. It's not as though it was speculation. It's not as though people were just questioning or wondering if something inappropriate was happening. Everybody knew this was happening. The man was having an inappropriate relationship with the wife of his father, so that would have been a stepmother of his. And he said that they were puffed up, meaning that they were arrogant, that they were proud, and they had not rather mourned. And so the point that I tried to make was this. In relation to the unrepentant believer in their church, a man who obviously knew he was doing something wrong, the response of the fellow believers in the church was completely wrong. When they should have been mourning, when they should have been grieving, when they should have been heartbroken over the man's sin, They were proud and they were arrogant, and somehow they had managed to justify that man's actions in their mind. And so last week I tried to remind us that whenever there is someone who claims to be a believer and they are living in unrepentant sin, you and I cannot afford to justify their sin. And that happens so many times. We find excuses for them. We find reasons for them to try to explain why that person is living in their sin. And rather than mourning, we are arrogant enough to think that somehow we have an excuse for that. The right response of an unrepentant sinner is that of grief and sadness and sorrow for someone who chooses to live that lifestyle. Now tonight we're going to move on and we're going to look at the rest of the chapter. We're not going to look at all of it in detail. We're just going to hit some highlights of it. 
Before we do, I want to ask you a question. You don't have to give a real loud answer. I just want you to answer this question in your mind that I'm about to ask. But the question would be this. Would you view yourself typically as a person of character or a person of integrity? If you were to think about yourself and if somebody were to ask you specifically, if they were to ask you directly, are you a person of character? Are you a person of integrity? Are you a person that is led or guided by principle? What would you say of yourself? I think most of us would say this, that we are people of principle. We are people of character. We are people of integrity. And as a result of that, that would manifest itself in many different ways. But one of the ways in which it would manifest itself, I believe, would be this. Is that we want there to be consistency in how things are dealt with. We don't like the idea of a dual standard. Society suggests that society as a whole does not like the idea of a dual standard. Have you ever heard someone say something like this? Well, if I did something like that, I'd never get away with it. Well, they don't say that with a sense of joy or a sense of gladness. They say that with a sense of frustration many times or a sense of disgust, correct? They look at someone like a former Secretary of State, and they say things like this. If anyone else had done something like that, they would be in jail. But because of who the Secretary of State was or is and what the last name is, somehow they managed to get away with it. And, and we look at that, and we're disgusted, and we're appalled by it. Why? Because we have character, and we have integrity, and we are led by principle. But sometimes, no matter how much principle we think we have or integrity that we believe we possess, sometimes the rules cannot be the same, and you have to deal with it. You look hungry for an illustration, so let me illustrate it. Actually, you don't look hungry for much right now, but that's okay. I'm just going to keep going on like you are. Several years ago, the family and I, we were on vacation in Florida, and we had gone into CeCe's Pizza to eat supper. CeCe's is not exactly the fanciest of locations, and it's certainly not amongst the highest paid positions in life. We went in a little late after what would be the supper rush, and so we kind of had the restaurant to ourselves, and yet all the employees were working hard, and it looked as though they were all getting their, their work done like they were supposed to do. So as I sat there and watched all that, I could tell that most of these workers were young people and, and you know, just trying to make a living, trying to make some extra money, whatever it was for them. And I felt impressed to give each of them a tip. Now, that's not what you would normally do at CC's, but I felt impressed to do so. All right. I gave each of them a tip. I gave them $20 each, and, and for them at the time, that was big money for most of them, and they were so excited, and they were so appreciative, and they all thanked me as we left the restaurant that night. There was nothing wrong. There was nothing inappropriate with that gesture of kindness. I appreciated their hard work. I wanted to show them that, and in return, they expressed their appreciation to me. I could have given them any amount of money I wanted to, and there would have been nothing wrong with it. You understand that, correct? Okay. A few years ago, maybe around the same time frame, I don't know exactly, 
Susie and I had some dealings with some social workers here in town as well as police officers. Not something directly related to our family, but something that we were involved with. And, and at the same time, in dealing with the social workers and the certain police officers we were dealing with, I was impressed with their conduct. I was impressed with how they handled themselves, how they presented themselves and the work they did. So guess what I did? I went out and bought all of them gift certificates to different restaurants here in town because I appreciated what they did, the same kind of appreciation I had for the employees at CC's. As I gave them their certificates to the different restaurants here in town, you know what I was eventually told? We can't accept those. We're not allowed to take those. It doesn't matter what your intentions were. It doesn't matter what your thoughts were behind it. We can't do that. We can't accept it. Because that could look like a form of bribery. Now again, my motivation was simply, I want to do this because I appreciate what you've done. The employees at CC's, they were able to take that and they were able to use it however they wanted to, as small as the gift was. They were able to do whatever they wanted to with that. And every one of the officers and the social workers had to return those certificates back to me because it didn't matter how much I appreciated them, I couldn't let them know with anything of a financial value. Now I look at that and I say, well, that's ridiculous. I just appreciate you. But you know what? The rules are not the same for everyone. Over here you have a set of rules that are in place, and over here you have a set of rules in place. And it doesn't matter what I think about the rules. These are the rules. So you will either live according to the rules, or you will live in disobedience to the rules, but if you choose to live in disobedience to the rules, understand this, whatever consequences come with that disobedience, you are now responsible for. What does that have to do with Scripture? Well, let's go back to what I said last week in relation to sin. You may remember if you were here last week, I reminded us that all sin is offensive to God. It doesn't matter if it's my sin. It doesn't matter if it's your sin. It doesn't matter whose sin it is. All sin is offensive to God. So there is never a time, as I said last week, there is never a time in which God sees sin in a person's life and says, well, you know, I'm actually okay with that sin. No, all sin offends God. But as I also said last week, Certain sins carry certain stigmas with them, and certain sins carry different consequences to them. Now, that being said, I'd like us to think about this thought. I'd like us to think about this idea. Because we are people of principle, because we are people of integrity, because we are people who, who have some conviction about us, here is what you and I may tend to think. That when we are dealing with a person's sin, you have to be consistent in how you address it. 
If I'm going to address sin over here, or if I'm going to deal with sin here, then I have to deal with it the exact same way that I would here, that I would over here. If I'm going to do this in this situation, then I must do this in this situation. It is only right, we would say, that we be consistent in our dealing with sin. But you know what the scripture reveals? That's not true. There are different rules that apply to different situations as it relates to sin. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and say this, all right, and just kind of throw this out there and, and you process this however you need to. We will either accept that and live according to it, or we will reject it and do whatever we want to do. But we need to know that we will suffer whatever consequences we deserve if we choose to disobey what the Word of God says. Because I can promise you what we're about to discuss and what we're about to look at, all of us have dealt with this at some point in our lives, and at some point in the future, we will deal with this, and we will address this again. And so it is of utmost importance that we know what the Bible principles are in how to address this and how to deal with this. And so remember that in verses 1 and 2, we are dealing with an unrepentant believer. We are dealing with someone who would identify himself as a child of God. He knows what he is doing is, is sin. He knows that he is living in sin, but, but he's not worried about addressing it. He's not worried about correcting it. He's not worried about fixing it. He is content in his sinful way of life. If we were to address the whole chapter, we would find in verses 3 through 6, that Paul reminded them once again of the sinfulness of the man's condition. And if you look in verse number 5, here is what he said. He said, To deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You know what Paul said in verses 3, uh, three, and, sorry, three through 6? He said this, I already know what my position is, though I am not there, in spirit, I am there, and this is what I would tell you to do. Just as he said in verse number 2, he needs to be taken away. He said in verse number 5, he needs to be delivered unto Satan. You need to turn this man over to Satan. Now, friends, that right there is so harsh in today's culture that most professed believers wouldn't know how to process that. You're telling me to do What? With this unrepentant believer, you are telling me to, to just turn him over to Satan and let Satan do with his life whatever Satan would want to do? That's exactly what the Apostle Paul said needed to happen in this man's situation. In verse 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul was explaining this, that as in the days of the Passover and when the sacrifice would be presented, you would take the leaven out of the lump and you would make the lump clean. He is saying this, you need to remove this man because it goes back to the thoughts that he had stated in verse number 6, that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And so we understand that in a sense through verse 8, but now in verse number 9, notice what he says. He says, I wrote unto you in an epistle 
not to company with fornicators. Now, we call this book that we're studying tonight, we call it 1 Corinthians, right? But he said in verse number 9, I wrote unto you an epistle. What does that mean? It means this, that somewhere prior to this letter, there was another letter that Paul had written, though not preserved for us. And in that letter, here is what the apostle Paul had shared with them at some point, And that was this, do not keep company with fornicators, people who are living an immoral lifestyle, a a sexual lifestyle outside of marriage. Do not company with those people. So here's what Paul is reminding them of. You already know what I've said, that you're not supposed to keep company with these people. So what does it mean to keep company with them? Well, in a general sense, it just means this, to mix it up with them or or to have interaction with them. But it goes deeper than that. It would also mean this, to have a close, personal relationship with the individual. So here is someone who is living in sin. They know they're living in sin. Everyone knows they're living in sin. And the church, the believers there at Corinth, they continue to have this relationship with the man. And the the, the Apostle Paul says this to, to the church, Hey, I've already talked to you about this. You're not supposed to have anything to do with this guy. Get rid of him. That is the rule. Does this make sense? He is living in sin. Notice in verse number 10 what he said. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. Well, what does that mean in verses 9 and 10, then tied together? All right, you have this person who is living an immoral lifestyle, and Paul says, I've already told you, you do not maintain a close relationship with this individual. That is the rule. But you've got to understand this, Paul said. I'm not saying that altogether with every fornicator in the world that you don't have some kind of a relationship with. Not the covetous or the extortioners or the idolaters because he says in verse number 10, if you did that, then you would need to be removed out of the world. And that's true, correct? See, if I said to you tonight, I am going to remove myself from every fornicator, every covetous person, every extortioner, and every idolater, you know what I would need to do? I would need to check out. Because those people exist all around me. Okay, so the rule is, is you don't have anything to do with these people, but I'm not talking about excluding yourself from everyone of this nature or everyone of this lifestyle, because if that's what I was talking about, you would have to remove yourself from the world. But notice what he says in verse number 13. This is what gives us some clarification on this. He says, but them that are without God judgeth. Now see this, again, it it helps us with the understanding here. 
that Paul is not talking about you distancing yourself from everyone who lives a sinful lifestyle because here's what we know, Christ himself interacted with those of a sinful lifestyle. And the Apostle Paul would have had to have interacted with people of a sinful lifestyle to see them saved and baptized and joined to the church. So Paul was not promoting this idea of exclusion and this idea of separating from all the sinful world around him. But he is saying, listen, this rule applies in this situation to believers, because if it applied to everyone, you would have to remove yourself from the world. God is the one who judges or pronounces a sentence or a verdict on those who are without the church, without salvation. Someone says, well, I mean, that's just your opinion, Pastor. I mean, that's just what you think the Apostle Paul was saying. Well, Look in verse number 10. Verse number 10, he says this. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such an one, no, not to eat. He specifically says in verse number 10, if any man that is called a brother, if this person would identify themselves as a believer, whoever it is, if they would identify themselves as a believer in Christ, I have written unto you to not keep company with them if they're a fornicator, covetous, an idolater, a railer, a drunkard, or an extortioner. He says, I don't even want you eating with them. You see the difference in approach? Someone over here, they're not saved. Over here, they're not a child of God. Over here, they're not a believer. Over here, they're living like a lost person would live. Like you would expect them to live. Paul says, I'm not saying remove yourself completely and entirely from them. I'm not suggesting that you have this separatist mindset and that you, you don't have any interaction with them and that you don't try to witness to them. But I will say this, the rules are different for the one who claims to be saved, for the one who claims to be a brother. You have nothing to do with them. You don't even eat with them. For what reason? Well, in verse number 12, he says this, for what have I to do to judge them also that are without? He says, do not ye judge them that are within. The principle that the Apostle Paul is conveying is this. Within the church, you have to make judgments. When someone identifies themselves as a child of God, they are now held to a different standard than the one who does not identify themselves as a child of God. Okay, so if you're out here and you're with John Q. Public, whoever that is, and they're a fornicator, they're an idolater, they're a railer, they're covetous, they're an extortioner, whatever they are, you can interact with them and you can mingle with them. Why? Because you're not their judge. 
that is not your place to, uh, to begin making judgments on them. And I'll try to explain that more in just a minute. That is not your place. They, again, are living like an unsaved person ought to live. The only way that you can reach the unsaved is if you are willing to recognize that that's how they live and they need Christ to transform their lives. But when someone says, I am a brother, I am saved, I am like you. And yet they are living like the world with no desire or no intention of changing. At some point, Paul says, let's listen. At some point, Paul says, You have to make a judgment. And you do not associate with them. You do not keep company with them. Notice what he said in verse number 13. But them that are without God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. It's just rain. We've all heard rain before, okay? been a while but we've all heard it all right think about this let's get focused on this here's a lost person living in sin this is the rule for them here's a person who claims let's listen here's a person who claims to be saved And they're living in the same sin as this person. Well, I should treat all sinners equal. No, you shouldn't. Because when a person claims to be saved, we have to make some judgments. We have to say that's wrong, that's wicked, that's ungodly, that's disobedient, that's a bad testimony for the name of Christ, that's a bad testimony for the church that we're a part of. Whatever the judgment may be, and we have to say this, I'm sorry, but we cannot continue to have fellowship with you because of your sinful lifestyle that you refuse to make right. Now, I want us to think about the rules. That may not seem consistent with us. But either the Apostle Paul was led by the Holy Spirit to write this or he wasn't, and I'm of the opinion and of the conviction, he was. So therefore, when the Apostle Paul recorded these words and told the believers of Corinth how to respond in this situation, it is not just good for the believers of Corinth, it is also good for you and I as believers today. Which means the principle has not changed one bit. So for just a moment, I want to make sure that we understand exactly what I'm trying to say, and, and I hope that we'll again tuck this away and use it when we need it, because I promise you we will need it. Here we are, we're going through life, and we pass by so many different people. We, we interact with so many different people. And here is the unfortunate truth. Many people have no concern for the things of God. 
If they are lost, that should not surprise us. Lost people should be expected to live like lost people. I'm not saying, and I know that you know this, but I just want to make sure that I'm clear on this. I'm not saying that we need to be comfortable with their lifestyle, whatever it may be, and I'm not suggesting that they should become our new best friends. But what I am saying is this, when we understand that this person is lost, when we understand that this person has no relationship with Christ, we should have an understanding of that, and we should have a maturity in our spiritual understanding to know this, that if we do not befriend that person and try to have a relationship with them, that person will never see a need of salvation. But at the same time, if this person in our life who does not care about the things of God claims to be a a saved person, then the rules are completely different for them. I'm not going to keep company with you. I'm not going to, listen, I'm not going to be your buddy. I'm not going to be your pal. I'm not, I'm not going to be your friend. I, I'm not going to be your social media BFF. And, and, and I'm not going to like everything you're doing and stay caught up on everything you're doing. I'm not going to stay involved in your lives. I'm not going to have you and your family over to my house. And we're not going to come to your house. No, because of the sin that you have chosen to live in, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to remove myself from that because though it seems like I should treat everyone the same, Scripture says you don't treat everyone the same. Now here's the problem. We don't have an issue with not treating people the same as much as we have a problem with inverting who it is we're supposed to be treating how. What do you mean? I mean this. Here's a person and they are not saved. They don't go to church. They, they have no relationship with Christ and they make no bones about it. And so what are they? They're immoral. They're dishonest. They're drunkards. They're deadbeat dads. They're uninvolved. They're they're just sorry individuals. And you know what we're prone to do? We're prone to write them off. Worthless deadbeats. I've got no use for that sorry individual. I have no use for that man. I have no use for that woman. Here's the problem. You've got the attitude for the sinner that you should have for the saved person. Because when we get this inverted, here's what happens. When the sinner begins to live in rebe- or when the when the believer begins to live in rebellion, when the believer begins to to live in disobedience, you hear people say things like this. Well, I'm just going to keep loving them. 
I'm not going to cut them off. Well, I'm not going to be that harsh. Brother Kyle, if everybody cuts them off, then then how are they ever going to, to feel as though they can be restored? Do you see how we're not consistent so many times in our rules, but in our inconsistency with the rules, we've inverted it and we've made everything backwards the way it's supposed to be? Let's just be honest. Most of us don't have enough nerve to say something like this to the rebellious saint. Hey, uh, listen, I just want you to know that I am delivering you to Satan. So that he can destroy your flesh, that your spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Well, we don't have the nerve to say that because that may be a family member or that could be a long-term friend and someone that we've really been close to for a long number of years. But we don't have a problem writing off the jerk at work who's never known a personal relationship with Christ. The rules are different. And we have to rightly apply the rules that have been given to us. And again, if we don't, then we are opening ourselves up to the possible consequences for our disobedience to that rule. Does that make sense? Now, I know that you know this, almost every one of you do, but there may be one that doesn't, so I just want to say this. I want to say this very clearly. That does not mean that we have to turn into an A number one jerk just because we have written someone off. So if you see them at Walmart, it doesn't mean that you turn around and you give them the cold shoulder and you avoid them. You can walk by them and you can say hi to them. If you see them in a restaurant, you can acknowledge their existence and you can wave at them. It doesn't mean that you become a jerk. But it does mean this. You cannot maintain the same level of closeness you once maintained with them. It doesn't matter if it's family. It doesn't matter if it's friend. It doesn't matter who it is. You can't. Because until they feel the weight of their disobedience and their rebellion, until they feel that, they feel no need to make things right because the relationship with the brethren has never changed. And I'm telling you, I've watched it, you've watched it, and countless others have watched this. We go the extra mile for people who don't deserve it. And we don't go an extra step for the people who do. And I'm just saying, if you think we won't be tested on this, in the days, weeks, months, or years to come, we're not being honest. And there could be some in here tonight. I don't know that it's happening, but there could be some in here this evening. If you were honest, you would have to admit you are giving way too much allowance to someone who does not deserve it. You are going way too far for the person 
who you should have cut off a long time ago, not because you're rude, not because you're harsh, not because you're calloused and hard-hearted, but the simple truth of the matter is this. They claim to be a Christian, then they ought to know better, and they ought to be living differently. We've got to do what the rules say, or we run the risk of suffering the consequence of the disobedience. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight to process this in the way that we need and the way that we ought. God, I know for myself it is my tendency, it is my nature to write the wrong people off and show far too much mercy sometimes to the people who don't deserve it. And God, I pray that you'd help every one of us whenever we would struggle with this. I pray that you'd help every one of us to remember the rules that though they seem different, that is what you've said it is, and we have to abide by it. So I pray that you'd help us to be the men and women that you've called us to be, and I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.